You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 45. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be exploring how leadership is a privilege with Emma Mills Sheffield. We'll be talking about the importance of authentic leadership, how to create empathy in corporate culture, and the power of vulnerability, and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk with you towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan. And today we have a very special guest, Emma Mills Sheffield. Emma is a consultant, coach, speaker, and facilitator. She's over 15 years of industry experience, and she's worked with public sector organizations, FTSE 100, and Fortune 500 companies, charities, and startups. In January 2020, Emma was named as one of the top 100 female entrepreneurs in the UK as part of the small business campaign, Female Entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me, John. Lovely to uh, see you today. Excellent. You know, your company... It obviously is, is called mind setup. Can you yes. can you share with us a little bit about, you know, what that phrase means to you and, and where that really came from? Yeah, absolutely. And there's only like two people who've ever gone, oh yeah, I get it. So I think, you know, I'm not sure if I've hit the right note there. But for <laughs> me, working with business and leadership and uh, business leaders, employees in coaching, it's all about mindset. We have to start with mindset. We can't do anything practical until we really understand how we work, what makes us tick, and how we kind of integrate with other people. And uh, the setup part is I'm a massive productivity fan, um, productivity, efficiency, and that sort of thing, and driving that through business. So for me, it made perfect sense. But uh, yeah, I'm yet to find everyone else go, oh, yeah, cool, I get it. <laughs> Excellent. So to, to make sure I understand, so the setup is you got to begin by setting up your mind first and foremost. Yeah, Absolutely. Thinking of like a systems and projects and, and environments and all the pieces of the, of the puzzle in that regard too. Okay, yeah. fantastic. You know, I know you also do a lot of work with, obviously you said productivity and high-performing teams. How do you define a high-performing team? It's always a good question. And it's, you often get the kind of sports analogies, you know, and you hear from fantastic coaches and when they've really got it working, it sounds really straightforward. And ultimately, it shouldn't be difficult. It should be a really simple thing to get right. But it's often just about finding out what really makes everybody tick and what their personal drivers are. What do they see as success for themselves outside of the game, as it were? And the game is business as well. The game is employment. and The game is sport. So it's knowing what really makes them tick uh, on a personal level as well and thinking about what their purpose is and what their involvement is. And then how they see the collective success uh, being. And so by understanding that, you can really play to each other's strengths. You can support on the development areas and, and, and help with the weaknesses. But also know where you're brilliant. You know, there's things that you do brilliantly that I can't do. And things that I do brilliantly that you might say, yeah, I can't do that. And so in a team dynamic, you really start to, to work together better. Um, and then ultimately, you're better than and greater than the sum of the parts. 
I can see that emphasis on as you're going through that discussion is soaring with your strengths, knowing what your strengths are. And it's an individualistic, but it's also really team focused. What are some of the skills that leaders need in order to pull out the best from each player and, and put them together in the right combination? It's definitely a really good level of understanding around empathy, around kind of humility and knowing, I think that we're not all machines. And that's something that I see a lot with, especially productivity work. It's kind of the do more with less culture, which is, yes, we've had redundancies and it's just tough. Get on with it. And that's so divisive in an organization. A good leader understands where people thrive and you know where they need to be lifted up and helped. And in doing so, I think there's like a there's a quiet support, like an undercurrent that really helps buoy everybody up. So a good leader knows that and a good leader leads by example they are humble they're vulnerable and they can also say you know this is i'm struggling with this i can't do this and by doing so other people think oh okay you're human too you know we put our pants on one foot at a time so we all do that and actually once you kind of break it down and say we're all just human beings and we're all equal how do we start to work together better Sometimes there's a bit of unpicking needed, but then actually it's it's letting people thrive and giving them the space to be brilliant. So that vulnerability that you talked about, how difficult is it for some people to open up and say, you know what, I don't know about this? Or is that a skill that you think everyone can learn? Or are there some people that are just not willing to go there? It's like peeling off layers of an onion. And it's really hard to do without thinking it turns into therapy uh, sometimes. I think some people are much more open to it. And I think it's a, it's a gently, gently approach. No one should really, I think in, in a business environment, kind of wear their heart on their sleeve straight away. You're still trying to understand where you fit, but where everyone else fits. And you might not play politics. Other people might play politics. And so actually they're trying to understand the power game going on. And so by going in too open, you might be you know, subject to some sort of difficult behaviors you don't wanna deal with. By being too closed, suddenly you come across cold. You can be quite steely. Um, it feels like you can't be, you know, you're better than everyone else and you get this real us and them attitude. If somebody just says, actually, I'm really struggling with this, you know, or we're all working from home at the moment and actually, you know, I've got a, a sick parent or, I've also, I'm homeschooling, you know, three kids behind the scenes or something. You realize, oh, okay, it's not just me, it's you too. And so we can all start to just break down those barriers. So I think it's, yeah, it's not easy. Some people it, it comes to more easily. It can be learned, um, but it has to come from a place of, of uh, it really kind of, uh, it has to be very heart led. It's not something that you can, you can fake and, and do. As you're talking about that and really thinking about the variables about being vulnerable, but also being strategic and knowing that not everyone is going to be as vulnerable as you are and they can take advantage mm -hmm. of that. Does that go into the mind setup as well and really thinking about the persona or who you want to represent in the organization? Yeah, I always think, I mean, being authentic is absolutely the best the best thing is the least tiring as well. Um, we only have to be one version of ourselves and it's just easier. And, um, you know, different people 
uh, really play off other people well. Some you just think, okay, we're never going to be friends, but that's okay. We can be, you know, civil. We can work well together and understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. Um, but in terms of the persona, I think it's just being really open and listening to other people, um, listening to what they're doing, what they're facing, you know, what's working, what's not working, and listening without judgment um, and not not having to play that game. You often see in, in large organisations people going in with the with a, a facade and then coming unstuck because it's it's too tiring, you know, and they're the ones that then exhibit those really poor behaviours behind the scenes when they're tired or they're stressed and their guard is down. They're the ones that lash out because ultimately you just, you it, it's tiring trying to be two people. So part of that mindset up is getting clear on your values, like you talked about, what are your drivers inside and finding that right level. So being authentic, but also finding the right level of revealing that authenticity to not be taken advantage of, but also not to burn out on the other side by trying to put up some uh, fake persona of who you might be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Also, people buy people. And so if you're in a selling capacity, you know, you have to be you. Even in an organization, we are always selling ourselves. You know, we are our own brand and everything. So you have to, um, yeah, you have to be authentic. It's it's, it's, I just, I struggle when you, you meet people and they're kind of like, well, this is what I'm like at work and this is what I'm like at home. And you think there should be some, a little bit of finessing for the situation, but equally, we don't have to be two different people, really. Uh, and if you are, you maybe consider, you know, what you're doing for a living. <laughs> I like that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Do you find, um, and in working with high performing teams, have you ever come across teams that, you know, maybe they think they're high performing, but they're really underperforming or do people ever really identify as being underperforming teams or do they just think that we're just normal? We're like everyone else. <laughs> All of the above. John. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there are elements, especially if somebody new comes in. So you might have a new chief executive come in. And they'll look around and just look under the bonnet and say, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I think we have some issues. And everyone's saying, no, it's fine. You know, I know what I'm doing. It's okay. And, you know, John down the corridor. Well, I don't know what he does. I think he does accounts. And you think, well, how do you not know? You know, if you, you should all know what's happening, you should all be able to work well together and know what the collective goal is. So looking at team dysfunction, I always find fascinating. And typically, it comes down to a lot of lack of trust because of insecurity, because you don't have a common goal, you're not um, able to hold each other accountable. And it's kind of those, you know, the, the five um, uh, characteristics of a, of a you know, team dysfunction, really. But when you look at it laid out, it's great. And doing some analysis and asking a few questions and getting a survey back and finding that people are, um, you know, answering in a certain way and they say, no, no, everything's fine. It's obviously fine. And you just think it's not fine, is it? Because you shouldn't have to be that um, brash about it. So when you start to really uncover it, you realise that there's there's lots going on underneath that they they don't realise. And it's often about self-preservation and not wanting to, there's a fear of failure and all of that, that sort of side of things. It seems like it might be common when doing like internal surveys and assessments and reviews that you're going to get people who are going to say, yeah, everything's fine and kind of, you know, make everything okay, but because they're afraid, 
they're afraid of, of being vulnerable and, and expressing real issues. Um, how do how does one as a leader kind of pierce that veil to get and create that space of um, honest feedback? It's it definitely takes the time to build, especially if you've come into a very dysfunctional team. What I like to do working with clients is really just kind of dispel some of the hierarchical issues. And everybody has a different set of challenges. And sometimes it's around really breaking down those kind of barriers and having that time with each other. Even pairing off and saying, right, you know, we, we don't really know each other. We don't work together that often. But I want you to tell me something that you're a challenge in your role that you want me to you know, listen to. And it's up to me to listen empathetically. And that's also a good exercise for me. But now I'm going to start sharing with everyone else the challenge that you told me. And so it all gets shared around. And then you suddenly get these aha moments where people realize, oh, I didn't realize that was a challenge. And when you do it from top to bottom, within, within reason, within a kind of management structure, you realize that you know, your challenges are so different to someone else's. And that person that you think is up in that kind of you know, glassy corner office, is really showing vulnerability by saying, actually, you know, say, um, you know, the, the financial markets, we're, we're really uncertain. We don't know what the future has, it has in store. And you realize, you know, wow, okay, everyone's got a different battle. And so that starts to unpick some of that facade, starts to break down the, the, the barriers and starts to rebuild those relationships when you realize you're all working in the same place and you should all have a common goal and working towards the same strategy. I like that. Thank you for, for sharing that. You, know, you mentioned the, the hierarchy and, and kind of breaking down those roles. Some people, you know, in their careers, you know, why do you think that some people actually become managers, but never really take on that role as a leader? Because I'm sure, you know, both agree that leaders can occur in any role, regardless of position in the company. Yeah. Why, why is there that limitation sometimes? I think you've got a lot of so leadership is a, a set of characteristics. You know, it's not a right. And I always think the, the difference is that, that leadership is not a right. It's an absolute privilege. And you, you can lead at any stage. And it's, it's how people demonstrate those behaviours. It's up to a good organisation to understand how to find those people and help them really thrive. Otherwise, you lose them. Managers often happen, well, managers are often appointed because they've just been there long enough. And so you kind of go through the ranks and it doesn't mean you're a people person. So I always think you should have, uh, you know, room in the career structure to have uh, technical managers and, you know, people managers. And it's okay, they're different people because if somebody is, um, say they've got real deep technical IT expertise, let them be brilliant at that. Don't try and force them into a, into a space they're not comfortable in. Because there's personal development for everybody, but it doesn't mean it's the right answer. And so have, your, have people who understand and work with people best do that, because ultimately you're doing a disservice to your employees and your leaders, leaders, managers, if you kind of force a structure. And leadership is a privilege, you know, and so you can't, you can have managers who just aren't supported, they're not trained well, they are nervous. They kind of, some behaviours can play out. Some are brilliant. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm, I'm focusing on the, where it doesn't work. Um, and they feel there's, there's 
an element of well, I'm I'm in charge now, so I'm going to go around with a you know puffed up chest and tell everyone what they need to do. And it takes a long time to settle in because you can just see how the behaviours play out, especially if someone's pr- promoted from within a team mm-hmm. as well. And those those relationships change. They may be not going out for for beers after work like they used to, and they're not sharing the same jokes they used to because they're thinking, oh no, now I'm a manager. So you kind of have and you know, this administration management leadership level where a poor manager will always default back down to um, at the kind of administrator level, very operational, very detail driven into all the detail, into everyone else's business and not thinking strategically like a leader. So everyone always defaults back down to their comfort zone. So I think, yeah, not all managers become leaders uh, and leaders should allow other people to manage well. Brilliant. I, I love that idea. Also breaking out the technical manager versus the people manager, because that's the classic conundrum. You're good at the technical, not necessarily the people, and you get promoted. And then you're mm-hmm. in a situation where it's not playing to your strengths. So create that organizational opportunity for people to really thrive in their own own genius in, in that level. So yeah. assuming that someone is at the right level, right position, and they, they have the resources and the, the team to be successful in, in a project or a division, what are some of the factors that really hold them back from, from being impactful, effective, and, and, and kind of creating that common vision? I think confidence in self, confidence in knowing, you know, I can do this and maybe I want to step up. You want to always be pushing the boundaries of the comfort zone and always going to that slightly bigger meeting and holding a bit more space. Um, and, and if you think, you know, I'm afraid to say something, Take a deep breath, consider what you want to say and say it, just do it. And especially if you think about um, some of the some minority communities and you've uh, got women in the workplace where maybe it's typically male dominated environment, you have other behavioral issues um, to, to kind of manage when you've got these different cultures coming together where typically a woman might say, okay, I'm just going to, to sit at the end of the table, sit in the corner. No you're a leader, you sit in the middle and you take your space and you sit up to that table and you say what you need to say. And equally, as a good ally, you support others when you know they're not being given the the time and space to, to talk. And so I think it's definitely about having that confidence in yourself and your abilities and say, look, I'm here. I'm as valid as everybody else. And so I'm going to say my part. So I think there's definitely that part. And also being an advocate for your team and an advocate for others, uh, your peers as well. And so you start to really create that buzz around, you know, like John's a brilliant leader because he's absolutely got the needs of his team and his organization front of mind. You're not holding it for yourself. You're not holding the success from, of your team for yourself and presenting it as your own. You should always have people in your team who are better than you. You know, that's, and you should be okay with that. Um, you shouldn't squash people down and say, you know, I don't want you to get above yourself because actually, uh, no, this is my, my position and my stature. You need your team to step in for you and say, hey, I'm taking a, a vacation. You know, this would be a great meeting for you to go to and, and give someone the opportunity. Any, any thoughts or suggestions on for a manager or a leader where they're starting to feel a little bit threatened by the people they're developing, like in that exact situation you just mentioned? 
ideally you shouldn't feel threatened. Ideally you you won't have carbon copies. Um, and especially if you check sort of the, the, the biases in recruiting and everything, you should have people who are just really good at doing what they do. And it might be similar to what you do, but ultimately you're going to want to do something else at some point. And you should always be moving on and kind of not doing yourself out of a job, but making sure people beneath you are able to thrive. They will also in turn support you because they shouldn't be trying to step on you because they're the behaviors that you haven't encouraged. You know, they're, that's a negative um, characteristic. But if you've got a high-performing team, everybody should have each other's back. And so there really shouldn't be a, a threatening feel to it. It should be a relief. It's like, hey, I found a brilliant new job or I've got a promotion. Um, but it's okay because so-and-so is absolutely primed to take this role and it would be a great leap for them. And, you know, it's seamless that way. So it goes back into the the mindset and the confidence and being an advocate for yourself, as well as you said, the advocate uh, for these individuals and the team at large. Uh, what other recommendations do you have for leaders who want to scale up? Scaling up is always a fantastic situation. Um, you've got a lot of the, you've got sort of the process side, you've got the, um, you know, systems and that kind of implementation piece that needs to support future growth. But from a people perspective, it's it's a fantastic chance to say, well, what do I want my management structure to look like? You know, I need to start hiring. Um, I can start from scratch or build on what I have. But be really clear on your culture, your values, your strategy, what you need if you look at, you know, what I'm not good at. So there's no point having pe lots of people like me. Let's not have a hiring bias. Um, let's think about, okay, if I'm, really terrible at technical detail, I really need someone who's brilliant at that. And so you start to create that wonderful kind of jigsaw puzzle of people. Um, I've just recruited people for uh, a board, a board of trustees. And we were really, um, really careful about how we did it. And we just said, right, we need people who are fantastically passionate uh, and experts of what they do. And we've got some key areas we know we want. So I'm looking at it going, wow, you know, th these are great people. Um, and, and that means that, that some of the parts, you know, piece that we discussed earlier kind of plays out because we're greater than that. Um, because I can't touch the technology. I have no clue. That's fine. But you've got someone brilliant who can and someone brilliant at something else. So I always think hire the, the best people who are the most fantastic at what you need um, that's really in their skill set. And then it'll all play out nicely. Is that difficult for people? I mean, imagine there's probably a tendency, a bias to, to hire people who have the similar skill set and mindset and value system that you do. But it's really the diversity that, that creates strength. If everyone thinks the same way, then, you know, we're a little bit redundant in that sense. So on that, on that board situation, it sounds like you were very intentional in seeking out the complementary skills and, and core competencies that you really needed. Yeah, I mean, going back to basics on a skills audit and a skills matrix and thinking, okay, this is our strategic um, plan. What do we need to get there? So it's like a roadmap. And then also knowing we don't want, you know, you don't want groupthink. You want to be able to challenge each other and you want to also be okay with that. And so we have, you know, really opposing opinions to something. Brilliant. Let's talk about it. You know, I hate it if everyone just goes, yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know, you know you haven't got a great organisation when everyone's agreeing. It's like, well, where's the challenge? Why are we all thinking the same thing? But also it's not conflict. It's healthy, healthy debate and challenge. Mm-hmm. So groupthink is, is interesting. Uh, Matthew Said has, has written about it in Rebel Ideas and, and things like that. It's really quite interesting when you start to look at where people have been educated and backgrounds and, you know, what we look like doesn't actually necessarily mean there's a difference in diversity. Um, diversity of thought is, is hugely, it's an interesting subject. And I think having those different experiences, you just have to be open-minded to it as a leader and know you're not recruiting clones. We don't want people, lots of people just like us, because it might be comfortable, but it, it really narrows down your, your growth. Any recommendations for leaders who are uh, going through restructuring process, bringing in you know, additional uh, team members and, and uh, situations and opportunities that are there too, because I imagine those types of changes, of course, are going to create fear in the people that are already there. Any suggestions on how to kind of satisfy that or to minimize that impact? It's it's a tough one, especially if you're restructuring, um, you know, downwards and, and not not growing. But I always think it's a great opportunity to almost shake everything up, but in a very in a human way. So understand people are nervous and people are scared. Understand that job security might be at risk, but if you take away the emotional side of it and and look at it as an organisation and say our organisation needs this to progress this is what we're going to have to do um if you're shrinking or growing either way it's the same kind of message and these are the types of people and types of roles we need so some people will fit neatly um some people may not be needed anymore but equally there'll be a load of people in the middle where you say but actually what is it you really want to do and can you do something else here because we often pigeonhole uh, employees. Say, so, right, you're great at doing that, and you're working your way up this kind of, you know, pillar, you know, in, in, the, in the career matrix. But if you don't ask them, you don't know that they really want to do something else. And so you might find they can make a diagonal move into something different and really start to thrive. And so if you explain what the, the core values are, the um, and I think values are never negotiable, especially when even in diversity of hiring, you have to have common values. Um, but you, you start to look at how people might fit and where their skills fit best. And you might not have to, the people who might end up leaving are the ones who say, actually, I don't want to do anything differently. It's, you know, it's run its course. Thank you. Two years, five years, I'm fine. I'll, you know, I'll move on. And you sort of part amicably, whereas others, there will be difficult conversations. Uh, and some others, you get to stretch your legs and, you know, grow wings and, and really thrive in an organisation because you're exhibiting the characteristics that are needed to grow. So it can also be hugely positive. So I think the messaging is really around how to help people grow and take new opportunities and acknowledge that not everybody really likes change. Um, so you just have to have to help people through it. That is true. People do not necessarily like to change. Even positive change is, is stressful, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. What are some of the more challenging conversations that, that leaders really need to get skilled at having with uh, their team? It's normally around, it's normally around disappointment, letdown, 
um, performance issues, negative issues, um, or it could be very personal. It could be, you know, grief or anything like that. It's knowing, I think being really empathetic, uh, listening with empathy and knowing you can't necessarily fix something, but you have, get your facts. We can't argue with facts, can't argue with data. It is what it is. Um, try and take some emotion out of a difficult conversation, you know, present the facts and say that this is what we have to deal with. No, play it out in your mind first. No, there might be some emotion coming from the other side and you have to just work through it slowly. Also, have an outlet with somebody else to be able to say, look, I've got to have these really difficult conversations. You know, I have to have to let five people go. This is really tough. And even play that out first. So, you know, you're rehearsed, you're not panicked. And then listen with empathy. Listen to these employees or anyone else's challenges and know that you can't fix it. Don't um, apply judgment. Don't sympathize. But sit there and hold that space and say, look, you know, I... I understand this is a really difficult message for you. Um, you know, what would you like to discuss? So you just have to be, you have to dig deep and it's not easy, but it's a, you're in a privileged position as a leader and you have to be able to give that, but also know you've got an outlet as well. You can chat to someone after and even go for coffee, grab a beer and say, wow, that really sucked. Um, mm -hmm. you're human too. I like that idea and, and probably having the conversation ahead of time as well so you can take out some of the energy and yeah. and then when you get in it, you can be flat, be of service and be supportive to this person with whom you're having a difficult yeah. conversation. You know, obviously at, at Key Conversations for Leaders, we believe that conversations are a key part of creating change, both internally and externally. Uh, do you mind sharing, Emma, you know, what's a significant conversation perhaps that you've had either personally or professionally that's had a big impact on your life? I'm sure there's been many and afterwards I'll be thinking oh I had all these examples that would have been fantastic and what about this person and that person I'll be doing them a disservice but there was definitely I said there's definitely one in my corporate career where I had to pluck up courage to go to my my boss ultimately and say I don't want to be in this job anymore I don't want to work here anymore I want to go out into my own business and I don't know how to do it and I don't know when to do it but I think I might have just limited my career here. <laughs> and he literally just closed his book because we we're about to have a regular appraisal. He closed his book, sat back and just said, brilliant, tell me all about it. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. And he was so supportive. He's like, how can I help? What can I do to help? So we, we met, not so much to talk about, you know, work, but to talk about what next and business. And that's how... Our relationship evolved um, which is brilliant because you know I always felt if someone came to me saying I want to leave I say okay how can I help it's it's not okay fine off you go you know it's it gone or how can I keep you it's it's let's play with all the options and why and you know is it for growth is it because of multitude of reasons people should go with your blessing and I think, yeah, that was a conversation for me that meant I had the security and the sort of comfort to know that I was going to be okay. I could go when the time was right because I was panicking. I said to my husband, oh, I'm going to have a conversation today. And he's like, okay, well, we still have a mortgage. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. 
Well, great courage. And it sounds like that person was very supportive and exactly the type of role model you'd want to have on the other end of that conversation. So cool. Thank you so much for sharing. And Emma, thanks so much for being here. What's the best way for our listeners and uh, watchers to get in touch with you and find out more about your work? So um, you can get me on LinkedIn. I always like to to have a message and a chat with people, um, debate uh, leadership and strategic challenges and growth. But also a website, uh, www.mindsetup.co.uk. Uh, it's a UK website, but I work everywhere. And now we're all online. It's even better. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. I you know have a variety of workshops and things coming up, but you know I really love to do one-to-one work. So... Yeah, any business leaders who want to talk, we could talk all day. Fantastic. I'll put all of those links in the show notes as well. And thank you so much again, Emma, for being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. And for all of you listening and watching, until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. And if you'd like to connect with me and other like-minded leaders, I invite you to join our Facebook group called Develop, Empower, and Lead, where I deliver free live training every week. If you go to developempowerlead.com, it will redirect you right there. Hope to see you there soon.